Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. How's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 57. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. We have a great interview for you today. I am going to be joined by my friend and one of the great publicists and public relations professionals out there. He's just worked with tons of great drummers uh, and just a consummate professional. Chris DiGirolamo will be joining me right after this message from Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. As I mentioned, I'm about to be joined by my pal, Chris DiGirolamo of Two for the Show Media. Chris is a drummer. He has been working with just all sorts of drummers over the past 13 years at Two for the Show Media. Uh, Chris does public relations and publicity for a lot of artists, and uh, Chris and I have worked together quite a bit on this very program. Um, a lot of the guests that we get here on the Drum Shuffle are clients of Chris, and we've worked together uh, for over a year now, and it was just really my pleasure to have him on the show to talk a little bit about working with some of these artists and, and what it means to be in the publicity and public relations business. Uh, just a consummate professional and proud to call him my friend. Help me welcome Chris DiGirolamo. Good afternoon, Chris. How's it going? It's going good, Jamie. How are you? Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a little bit cold uh, here in the bluegrass state and i know you guys are suffering through some cold weather up in the in the big city as well i don't want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean i we jokingly said before uh, before we started recording here it happens every year you know i mean yes, it is winter <laughs> it is winter so that's that's for sure 
Well, Chris, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the drum shuffle and talk a little bit with us. We really do appreciate your time. Oh, sure. My pleasure. So, you know, I think um, what I would like to do is to, to kind of go back to the very beginning. We do that a lot here on the drum shuffle. Um, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about what you do these days and in, in running two for the show media. But you are a drummer. You know, you, you grew up in Queens and you've played drums for a very long time. Kind of walk us through you know, getting behind a drum set for the first time and all that good stuff. Well, you know, it's funny. My daughters just asked me that last night and um, we were talking about it. And I have to tell you, there was just, there really was always this, this kind of point where I just thought the drums were cool. I really, it, it doesn't really get much deeper than that on a side part. Like I just thought to myself, the drums are cool. I want to try this. And, uh, and when I was younger, we, I don't want to sound like uh, the poor man, but uh, we didn't, you know, it was, my mom was a single mom and we didn't really have the, the ability to go out and buy uh, a kit. So what we would do is she would go, you know, every birthday, Christmas, however the event was for a, a, a gift, she would get me one more part of the drum set. So, um, you know, my first drum was a snare drum and then my second was a hi-hat you know and then we would take it from there and eventually we would build it up but before that um my mom's boyfriend at the time who's now my stepfather uh he used to own a fruit and vegetable stand and we would he would bring home boxes every night for me and i would set the boxes up like a drum set of course and that's how i played i mean i literally it sounds so it sounds like so third world <laughs> but i was i literally would sit behind a kit that was made up of boxes and um, and that's how I started playing. And I played, it, we also lived in an apartment building, and uh, I literally played my drums in an apartment building for, God, a good six, seven years, without complaint. I don't know how it happened, but uh, we did. And um, and I used to play to just some of the worst music you could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, Leo Sayers' You Make Me Feel Like Dancing was like one of my, you know, and I would just play it over and over and over. <laughs> and I now I can't even hear the song, you know, without getting sick. But um, And then I remember I did a lot of Steve Miller and, you know, stuff that you were able to kind of play on the two and four and, and feel like you were playing. Yeah. You know, because it's very, you know, if you're playing an instrument and you don't feel like you're playing and, or you know, part of it, it's, it's very discouraging, but, uh, and it just really built from there. I just, you know, some of us, as you know, in the drum world, we just, once you get in and you get it, it's just there for you. You know, it's with you for life. It really is. Um, and, uh, that's how it started. And we just, you know, built the kit up and, um, I have to tell you something. It's really funny. I, I did not buy my first full brand new drum set until I think I was 22. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I literally, was I was playing on like you know pearl I had pearl drums but they you know like the bass drum was was I'll never forget it it was called U.S. Mercury it was a Japanese company oh yeah and one I of those think I had that kids, bass drum yeah. for it don't owe me a dime you know um, but that's how it kind of got started it was just really kind of a cool event and I always loved it and you know and like I said you know it's uh, it's something that uh, it's just with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you jokingly said it sounds third world. I mean, that was my story as well. You know, it was like, uh, okay, I want another crash symbol. Well, wait till your birthday, you That's know, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, and I think everybody's story is unique in that, but 
the fact that we all chose the instrument and stuck it out, you know, I think that's what's so rewarding amongst drummers. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, clearly with the with business now and and it's almost like I've taken the other side of it for for drummers, but it's uh, you know, and I now have a drum room in my house, you know, with an electric kit and a and a and a regular Yamaha kit and then I also I have a kit that's piled up in the corner which, you know, 25 years ago would have, I would have said you were crazy. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh it just never goes away. It really doesn't. Yeah, it it doesn't. And you know, I mean, I think I think that's what's so cool amongst all of us. You know, I have a cardinal rule at my house. Drums only go one direction and that's in the house. I never get rid of any of the old stuff, you know. Oh, I know. And, uh, you know, I've told some of my friends, if I ever die, make sure you tell my wife what this stuff is really worth. Because, you know, it's worth more than I told her I paid for it all the time. You know, so um, (laughs) that's the running joke amongst me and my drummer buddies. Um, well, obviously you stuck with it because you went to Berkeley, uh, in Boston, correct? Yes. So I, I'm assuming, you know, uh, you represent a whole lot of jazz artists. So I'm assuming that jazz was a pretty big part of your, your upbringing on the instrument. And, and obviously you're a fan of jazz music. Um, did you, you know, do kind of school orchestra and jazz band and those things growing up? I did, you know, I have to tell you, I was never a big fan of all that, believe it or not. I was very much into my own study, and I had some great, great teachers. Uh, I studied with Frank Marino, who uh, in New York is, uh, I was a tremendous Bill Bruford fan when I was in my teens. And Frank wrote a book called Time Capsule, which is a whole book on odd time signatures, you know, so I was completely Im- embedded in that and just really kind of own study. I, I did you know, partake in the jazz band in high school, and the teacher was, you know, just just a tyrant. And I just, you know, he, he really kind of took the fun out of it, you know, and uh, I just didn't really get that into it. You know, it was um, tough to be excited about it when the environment was not really great. And uh, then um, I did go to Berkeley, and when I went to Berkeley, you know, it was so exciting to be able to get accepted and um it was very different then. You know, now you have to audition for it. You didn't have to audition back then. It was basically, if they took you, you then went in and you, and I probably the, you know, the application was, you know, numbers were probably a little less and that's why. But if they took you, what you would do is you'd go in and you'd place. In other words, you would sit in a room with a drum set against the wall and you'd have like four of the, you know, best drummers on their faculty, like hovering over your shoulder and saying, you know, do this and do that. And, and um, then they would kind of, you know, they would tell you where you needed to start and based upon your performance. But uh, the jazz side of it um, has always, uh, you know, like I, I've, I said this to someone recently, you know, my mom was a big part of that. She used to take me to see just incredible music, you know, that at the time you, you're not really hip to it because you're young. Um, she just took Ella Fitzgerald, Joe Pass, Buddy Rich. I mean, everybody, you know, uh, I remember one night she she called me up and I was home and she said, I'm coming home from work and we're going out. And I said, well, where are we going? And she said, I can't tell you. And uh, we went to see Frank Sinatra at Carnegie Hall with Buddy Rich Big Band opening up for them. You know, it was just, and I was 13, you wow. know, that kind of thing. It was just to have that experience. And then when I went to Berkeley, even though I was into jazz and, and I, I was, a, and still am, a huge deadhead. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't just jazz. I could, you know, went to 200 or so Grateful Dead shows as well. But um, 
But when I went to Berkeley, I remember it was really a difference. You know, you think you know the music, and then I took a history of jazz class. And the history of jazz class was in the auditorium with, you know, like 300 people, and um, the lecturer would be, you know, up on the stage. And and uh, I learned more in that class than you could ever imagine. And that's really what kind of took me over the edge with it. And, uh, you know, the greatest thing about that music is uh, every day, even with what I do, Every day, I learn something new where I, I can say, like, oh, I didn't know about that record, or, you know, I didn't know that drummer played with that particular person, or it just always grows, you know? So yeah. um, it started really, you know, in reference to the question, it started with mom. It really did. I mean, I always had, it was just always music playing in the house, like Joe Cuba and all these things that were, you know, you just weren't, you know, kids were not going home and listening to that too much. And she just was, she had a unique interest and, um, you know, and and my father is, you know, still listening to House of the Rising Sun, you know, that kind of thing, so <laughs> it didn't get too deep there, but um, but even from that, I learned from him, you know, like, it's just, the, the picture really went uh, across the board, but I would say, really, Berkeley and, and the classes got me, you know, into really studying Art Blakey and Philly Joe, and, you know, I was a Blakey fanatic, you know, and uh, still am, but at that time, I just embraced what he did on every recording yeah for sure well so after berkeley i mean i'm kind of curious i know that you kind of played around the city and and did things but at what point did you decide to get into the publicity side of things because you know if you're into all these guys all these influences that you've named you're working with a lot of them now i mean which is just you know, that's got to be the most fulfilling job in the world. It's, it, I have to tell you, it's a bit bizarre. You know, I've gotten used to it. But um, one of the stepping stones that I had at Ber- out of Berkeley was I came home from Berkeley after a year. And um, my father called me up one day and he said, do you, do you remember such and such, uh, the family, the friend, you know, one of these Italian fifth cousin things. And uh, he said, you know, he has a recording studio in Brooklyn and they're looking for somebody. And uh, I was taking some recording classes up at Berkeley. And I went to see him, and I took the job, and uh, really my whole life changed with that. Because not only when you say you had a chance to work with them now, and it must be surreal, when I was 19, I took this job, and um, the job was really a trip. Because at the time, the studio was doing, um, and I kid you not, um, Hasidic music, (laughs) and... um, and bad rock music, you know, like that's how it was just, but they were booked around the clock, but, you know, because they were in Brooklyn, New York, uh, there was a tremendous Hasidic community close by, and uh, they had a big record industry. So um, one day I was in there, and I walked in, and um, Steve Coleman was doing a record there with Marvin Smitty Smith on drums, and and uh, Cassandra Wilson was singing, and it was just, you know, when all these people were really young, and I said to the uh, owner, I said, Joe, you know, do you realize what's going on here? Like, do you these guys are, you know, the up and coming of jazz and, and, uh, they're, and he had no idea. And, um, needless to say, the entire place turned into one of the biggest jazz, um, recording studios, uh, at this point, I'd have to say in the history of the music in New York, because as a matter of fact, they just closed, um, and they retired, but, um, I got to work with Dennis Chambers and Smitty and, and all these people, man, it was just incredible and i got to and, and that doesn't just include drums you know it was the sax players and dave holland and it just it went on and on and on every day was like a dream it really was you know you go everybody would be complaining about going to work and uh 
you know, I go to work and work with these people and I'd be like, man, and I'm 20 and I'm getting paid and like, you know, who's crazy. <laughs> but my point is, is that that, you know, after doing some teaching in between music teaching and different things like that, every, when I started doing two for the show media, I knew a lot of these people from that experience. Yeah. So I would go to them and say, you know, do you remember me? And we would, and that's, and a lot of them have picked up like that. So it's, uh, I will say, you know, they all put their pants on the same way. You know, they're all, and most of them are really fantastic, fantastic people for the schedules they have and for everything that they go through. Um, they're really appreciative and it's, it's been, yeah, it really has been a dream. I scratch, you know, I, I really like, you know, I scratched the surface on it and then it really opened up and, um, I never, I got to tell you, I never seeked it. it. I never went out and said, we, we want to work with all these famous drummers. It just kind of one led to the other and they told two friends and so on <laughs> and so on. And, and here it is. Well, I mean, that's the best way I think to build any business is through word of mouth. And, you know, I, I know you wouldn't say so otherwise. So I'm going to give two for the show media, a giant plug. Um, you know, I've been working with you since, really since the very beginning of this show. Um, we've had a lot of your guys and, and girls on the show that you represent and your organization is just top notch. So thank you so much for always, you know, thinking of us as an outlet when somebody has a new record, et cetera, you know, and, and I jokingly say all the time, if you put a gun to my head a year ago today and said, you're going to have Peter Erskine on your show, I would have said you're nuts, you know, and, and you made that happen for me. So, so thank you. Oh, no, my pleasure. And I'll tell you, that's, I would have said the same thing, you know, 13 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So it just, it's all, and it's really just hard work, man, and, and persistence. And uh, what I've found is to do what a lot of people tell you not to do. And I don't mean that to do something illegal. I mean, um, just, you know, I, when I started this out, people would say, you know, you got to get out and meet these people, and that's the only way you're going to get them. And and I would email everybody, and they, they would get back to me. You know what I mean? And we would start a conversation, and once they heard me and we talked and discussed what the plan was, it all worked out. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, you guys have been – your show has been uh, a huge plus. And the greatest thing about the drum shuffle is – you know, when I was younger, and you know this, you know, you people would do drum clinics and you'd, you know, have to go to the clinic. And with you, you know, it's like you can go to your show and it's like an archive of just drum clinics. You know, the playing you can't do, but still the knowledge of all these drummers is phenomenal. Right. Well, and, you know, that has always been the aim of of this show is, you know, sure, I love to talk about paradiddles and ratamacues as much <laughs> as the next guy, but... That's kind of boring to listen to, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I've never asked the question, gosh, what did you do in the 32nd measure of that song? You know yeah, what I, I know, mean? Right? <laughs> I, I mean, because that's what YouTube is for. You know, I mean, you you can find tutorials on all these different pieces of music anywhere. I want to know what makes you tick as a human being, as a musician. And I think that's what comes across so, so well uh, in podcast form. That's just my opinion. I may be completely yeah. off the mark, but I mean, that's kind of what I went for. And, you know, my listeners know, and I've said this a billion times on this show, I thought about it from my 13 year old self when I first got into drumming. What would the 13 year old Jamie want to know from all these great drummers? Yep. You know, how did you grow up? How did you get into drumming? Did you have 
you know, formal education, all those things. That's, you know, that's what I'm trying to get out there into the universe. And, um, you know, it's working thanks to great partners like yourself. Um, So I'll transition just a little bit here. Um, Two for the show media has been around for a while and, you know, it would take the rest of our hour to list everybody you've worked with. I mean, it's just an amazing list of artists that that you have worked with over the years. But talk to us about forming two for the show media. And, you know, do you have that one seminal moment where you knew it was going to work? Well, the story is, I will tell you that this, in, this entire um, 13 year, 13 years it'll be on Valentine's Day, this entire journey was by mistake. <laughs> um, Great mistake. I used to do, by, completely by mistake. When I, I used to do um, a lot of drum columns, there was a paper in New York called the Music Paper, and I used to do it. Matter of fact, my drum teacher, Frank Marino, who I was telling you about, had to stop doing his drum column and he gave it to me and it was a combination of interviews and patterns every week and different things and and then i started branching out and doing some stuff for modern drummer nothing on a feature side i would do a lot of the you know smaller pieces and uh so i always kept up with just writing and at the time i was i had left i went from the recording studio in brooklyn to the record plant in sausalito where they've done just an incredible amount of, uh, you know, legendary rock records. And, um, when I was there, it was a new owner and it just, you know, they were not making payroll. So it was just not a good thing. I was there on my own, you know, it was just not a great thing. So I came home and, um, and this was when I was at this period, I was looking for some different kind of work, not out of music, but something different. And this was post 9-11. So it was work was tough. There was not much out there. And I was doing the freelance writing gig and it just wasn't, you know, cutting it. And um, somebody recommended me as a publicist and it was a mistake. You know, I was a writer. <laughs> so I was home one day and my cell phone rang and um this guy came on the phone and he said to me, hi, is this Chris? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, you come recommended to me. I have a new record out as a publicist. And I don't know why, but I just paused and I went, yeah. <laughs> and I, and then he said, well, great. What's the setup? And, and, um, so I said, look, why don't we meet? And we met in the city on Valentine's day, uh, in 2006. And he, we met in front of Madison Square Garden, and it was the day of the um, Westminster Dog Show. So there were, like, <laughs> dogs everywhere. And we were in this Jeep in front of the garden, and he wrote me my first check, you know, to do work for publicity, which was completely by mistake. <laughs> and this is a true story. And I came home, and I went, got off the train, and I went right to Barnes & Noble, and I bought a dummies book, uh, Publicity <laughs> for Dummies. And I had no clue. Uh, I knew what, you know, I knew because I had been pitched as a, as a writer for my column. So I knew, you know, the, the basis of it. But uh, that's how it started. And um, I've been with, I've worked with Peter Erskine for probably 11 of those 13 years. And I remember the first time, um, there were two people that we picked up that I started to say, this is working, um, was John Abercrombie and Peter Erskine. And I just started to see how it was all filtering out, and um, and then it just became one thing after the next. And, and like I said, there's a tremendous amount of drummers, 
but there's also a tremendous amount of you know guitar players and saxophone players and piano players and vocalists and but uh that's real that's how it happened it was uh it was bizarre in um that moment where um that it, you know it occurred and and also somebody had i had no name for the company and somebody had the singer had called me up and he said what's the name of your company <laughs> you know yeah, right and i i don't know why but i just remember that when i used to go and get press tickets it was two you know it was your christy Girolamo plus one right so i went two for the show and now i'm stuck with it <laughs> so <laughs> well it's so working the entire for you. thing was really kind of a a sequence of events that you can't make up. And, uh, and you know, what's funny is like to this day, I still don't know who recommended me. <laughs> so. Well, you know, and, and I believe in serendipity, you know, I'm, I'm not an overtly religious guy by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, sometimes I think things just happen in the universe for a reason. And maybe that's yours, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was strange. And I didn't realize the value of it until now, you know, when you realize that you've been doing it for, for this long and um and consistently which is incredible absolutely well you know i mean i think having a writing background you know you, you were doing writing for for you know so many years but you know a, a big part of your job is you know crafting press releases for artists you know and and there is a certain art form in that it's different than writing a column certainly you know and and I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a journalist. You know, I'm just a drummer talking to other drummers on this show. I, I know literally next to nothing about journalism. But if you come from, you know, a writing background, you learn how to write those press releases. You, your job is basically to get all the attention that you possibly can for those you represent. Correct? That's the basis of it. Yeah. And every artist has a different need. So it, it's never just the same you know, as someone said to me recently, it's it's never just the same special sauce to you know to make it happen. It it's completely different. You know, somebody who's coming up and and has has a great recording, and if they are a young drummer, um, they need a, a special attention. Whereas Peter Erskine is, is a totally different approach. Right. You know? So it's it just depends on the artist. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, one of the questions that that. I have asked you, you know, uh, about our show here is at what point does someone need a publicist? At what point does a drummer, uh, you know, a sax player, a, you know, whatever the case may be, at what point does an artist need to engage a publicist? Well, I don't want to sound self-serving, <laughs> but. Oh, come on, you know, no, give, yeah. <laughs> give us your pitch, man. No, but you know, this is, let me tell you, when we started, the uh, another reason why things took off was, you know, there is timing, um, you know, serendipity, but there is timing. And the timing of it was that a lot, a tremendous amount of record labels were just falling and going out of business. And what it was the end of the world you know everybody was it, just, <laughs> right. it really was it was the i remember it you know like how are we going to do it was just it was completely the end of the world and what had happened was it wasn't the end of the world it was a just it was a change that provided all of the artists in the world who wanted to play an instrument and could you know put together a recording some fantastic some very good some good some never mind um but it gave everybody the ability to now be their own boss in recording it. They can record it. They can um, put it up digitally. They could have it at Amazon. They could, you know, it, it just, 
you know, gave that big form. So what happened was we became um, one of the few people that was there for hundreds and hundreds of artists, whereas in the past it used to be, you know, 10 major labels and they had a PR department. Right. So it just opened up completely. So when I say not to be self-serving, I say that if you are new, um, and this is, this is something that I say all the time, everybody was new. You know what I mean? There's right. not an, a drummer we know. There's not a, you know, another instrumentalist that we know that was not new and no one knew about. So you, you have to take that approach. And when I say, um, you know, self-serving in the sense of going to say right away, you know, the reason I preview stuff, now people can say, well, do you just call Chris and, you know, he says, yeah, let's do it. No, you know, there's a process. If somebody calls me and says, I want to send you something. I'm interested in doing this. And I listen to it. Um, I can tell if it's something that's going to connect with the media based upon the massive amount of music they have. If I say, yeah, and it's not going to do it, you know, I'm not being honest with them. So that's why I preview everything and say, you know what? This guy's new. He might have something behind his story. Sometimes they don't. Um, but is it something that the media is going to, you know, bite into? And at this point, with my name and with the, you know, the company's name, they know, okay, if I get this from Two for the Show Media, I may not like it, but I know it's a solid recording, you know? So yeah. in answer to the question, I really say if you have something solid and you want to start building your, you know, your profile as a musician right away, you know, um, there's no reason to not. And if you came here, I would tell you if you're ready or you're not. You know, it's uh, it's not something that just, for me, somebody else may say, I want to take this on. But for me, um, I want to make sure that it's something that if you're going to make a big investment in, that we at least have a chance to give you everything you want. And some people will just take things, you know, okay, you want a PR person, I'll, uh, here it is, this is what it costs. Did you even hear the record yet? No, I didn't, but you know. <laughs> so. Right. You just have to be honest, but I say right away if you want to start building your profile towards, you know, increasing everything. Well, and, and you know, not to pick on anybody, but, you know, uh, one of the guys that you represent that hadn't crossed my path, you know, it just wasn't on my radar, was the great Daphnis Prado, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I had Daphnis on the show, I listened to his record, and I was blown away but it just wasn't on my radar because I'm not in that circle. Right. Um, and he's up for a Grammy. He, he yep. is a Grammy nominee this year. And yeah, we just, he had a Latin Grammy nomination too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just incredible, but you know, so that goes to show you that publicity does matter. You know, I mean, it's it, because I would have never discovered Daphnis on my own. Probably, you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, so, so that was a great example. Now you talk about, you know, kind of previewing artist stuff. Um, I, I know that, you know, in my own experience, you know, at, at this point in my career, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of bar gigs kind of thing, you know, and, and there's a ton of bands that will rehearse up, you know, 15 songs and they'll go to a club owner and they'll say, look, we'll play for 50 bucks. Well, they don't want to pay an old guy like me, you know, 700 bucks. Right. So do you have some of that same stuff in the publicity market where people are just like, hey, I know how to use Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm going to be a publicist and, and basically give it away. 
Um, <laughs> uh, you had to ask me that question. Huh? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I told you I'm Listen, not a journalist. I don't know what uh, I'm doing. <laughs> I say this with with the utmost respect towards the you know the certain uh, arenas of uh, business layout that people do, but. Um, Today, people feel like, well, I have Facebook, I have Twitter, I, I can do this. And it's like, you know what? Go for it, and let me see how it works out for you. Because, uh, And I don't mean that sarcastically. I just mean it almost out of frustration because, you know, I always say um, if my Aunt Matilda can have a Facebook page, it doesn't really give you much value above that. You know, you, you want something that's going to represent you in a way that shows that you're serious and special and, and have a marketing plan behind what you're doing. That being said, don't get me wrong, the social media side in today's society is uh, we, we must use it because it's just so simple. And, you know, if I put something on a two-for-the-show media Facebook page, it goes to, you know, almost 6,000 people in a second. You know, so, of course, you want to use that. But the premise, a lot of the premise of... Um, of what's happening with, you know, some people that are new and they feel that that's the only, you know, that I can do this through that is, uh, is really kind of, uh, off base, you know, you, you know, and look, that, I look, I respect everybody's approach towards what they want to do. Who am I to say, but I, the only time, the only thing I ever share, Jamie, is my experience. You know, right. it's not like the world according to me. It's, I just say, I've seen this and it doesn't work. It doesn't give you the level of what you want to do. Um, there was recently a uh, convention of some sort here in New York, which I was unable to attend. And at the convention that promotes, um, I'm trying not to mention any names, promotes um, business aspects of what we do um, in the jazz field, the, they had a contest at this event that it was how to do a tour and marketing campaign of your CD for a thousand dollars. Oh, well, I, yeah. Okay. And I thought to myself, um, now I'm going to go from that to the panel that talks about what's needed to make a record and marketing. It, it, it like, it just, it, it really was a conflict of what it is. And if you can do it for a thousand dollars, God bless you, you know? Um, but, it's it's really listen. I, I say this just because I've developed the reputation. But if somebody um, comes to me and they we work this out, we have a marketing plan, and we send this to the media at NPR and the magazines that you know, whether it be Modern Drum or Drum, whatever it be, um, you know, they know. Okay, this person has representation. You know what I mean? Right. And if they have representation. They're pretty serious about what they're trying to do. Right. That's all. It's not. It's not to say someone is um, doing it. But look, if you want to buy a car for a thousand dollars, you're probably not going to get that many miles out of it. Yeah, oh, that's that's a great analogy and a great point. You know, and I ask that because you know I, I just know that there's in our field when you're you know talking about artists, you know, the creative types, whether it's a musician, a, a painter, a, a writer, it, it doesn't matter. It's very competitive. All of it is. And, you know, you want to get the right team around your project or your band or you as a solo artist. 
Um, you know, so I asked the question just simply to, to illustrate that it happens to all of us. You know, it, it happens to bands. You know, this baby band will come in and say, hey, I can play your corporate event for, you know, two hundred dollars. Whereas, yep. you know, another band that's been around for 20 years wants fifteen hundred. Yep. If you don't really understand what you're buying, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where I was leading with that. And, and, and not to interrupt you, Jamie, but the hardest, the scariest and hardest part about it is in publicity, there's no guarantee. Oh, absolutely not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's almost like saying I can buy the better car, but it may not run, you know? So, <laughs> right. You know, it's tough. But I mean, look, I always say this to everybody, and, I, and my colleagues follow suit. They're all wonderful people. But the I wouldn't be here for 13 years if the car didn't run. Right. Well, and, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know not to come to you and say, hey, man, I want to be on the cover of Modern Drummer. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I know that that's probably not going to happen, but I'm sure you get asked the question a lot, especially being, you know, fairly jazz centric. I, I would guess that most people that just call you up out of the blue say, hey, can you get me into downbeat? Right. I mean, is that well? A- that's a popular question. The best one of the best stories, and it's a short one, just recently happened over this past summer. I received a phone call from someone who's a bass player. Um, I have to say, I don't remember his name. And um, he called me and said to me, uh, I need to talk to you. We have a project. So I called him back, and he said to me, I'm going to send you some videos of the project first. Okay. Well, the videos were from um, the videos were of his band at a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he called me back and he said to me, listen, I, we got to talk about this. I said, well, go ahead. Let me hear you first. And he said, we need to be on Saturday Night Live. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. Now I thought for a second, like, you know, is this someone I know that's not, you know, um, and he was dead serious. And I said, listen, I said, I'm just going to tell you as an honest, you know, person and what I do, that'll never happen. Okay. It'll never happen with what you're doing right now, you know? And he said, all right, if you really feel that way, you said, well, what do you think about getting on Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> so, you know, I could write a book. Oh, I, maybe yeah. you should. Maybe I should. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, look, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I, I know people that are like that as well. You know, they're, they're, they're convinced that the next song they record in their bedroom is going to be you know, the next let it be or, (laughs) or whatever the case may be. And I just always, and if you feel that strongly about your craft by, you know, by all means, chase it, you know, hone it, do your thing. Those things didn't happen in our, in our musical lifetime without people feeling like that. Exactly. But you cannot, you know, there's a saying down here in the South and you, you may have heard it, you know, don't worry about the mule, just load the wagon. You know, yep. and every, everybody in music worries about the mule <laughs> instead of worrying about, is this song any good? And, yeah. you know, am I recording it on, you know, a 35 year old boom box or am I using real microphones? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, I think there's such a disconnect from the passion behind the music to how it's really going to be received. And I'm probably as guilty of that as anybody else. You know, so I, I guess you are one of those gatekeepers that say to folks, look, I know you want to be on the cover of Modern Drummer. You're not ready for that. You know, so I, I guess in a way you wear a hat sort of like a life coach as well. Yes. 
Well, I always say there's part therapy and what we, what we do here. There's definitely, that's definitely the case. But you'd be surprised, Jamie. I mean, most people are pretty realistic. You know what I mean? It's, uh, I, I would say it's almost 95-5. You know, it's, it's the five that you get that are, are, um, are, you know, the stories become like that. And it's, it is what it is. But most people are very realistic. They know their place. They know what it is. And, uh, you know, we've even had, you know, veteran players come in and say, you know, we know our place and we know what's, what's going on right now. And, and you have to remember, you know, like, um, like Rich, Rich Redman, who we were talking about, you know, Rich was just on the cover of Modern Drummer. And, you know, playing with Jason Aldean, you're in a position where as an editor, you may be sitting down and saying, you know, what, what, what market do we want to corner with this issue? You know what? The country field is so huge in the United States. Let's try to get, you know, one of the best and, and get him out there and, and interview him and see what it is. Now, if, some, if I come to the plate and I say, you know, I'm working with such and such, and they just, they really do have a right to be there, it's just not on their radar for their, for their, their business plan at that time. So that's, that's a big part of it. And people go, you know, well, I can't believe they won't cover this. And listen, I say it too. I can't believe they won't cover certain things, but you got to remember that we have a meeting with the artist and then we talk to the editor and then there's a meeting at their office too, <laughs> you know, and, right. and that meeting has, they are not starting it off um, with, well, what does Christy Girolamo want? You know, they, they may say, this is what came to us, which they usually do. But, they're trying to, you know, they have a product too. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a good point. And, you know, I've, you know, I've complained in your ear about other publicists that I've worked with that I've reached out to and said, Hey, I want to have your artist on the drum shuffle. And, you know, we're just over a year old. We're, we're kind of, you know, the new kid on the block. And I understand, you know, when I ask for an artist to come on this show, it's, you know, 45 to 60 minutes of their time. You can do, you know, 10 radio spots in 60 minutes, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, so I get it. I'm fighting for that time, but you know, it's, well, email me next month. And so I do. And well, email me next month. So I do. And it's just this never ending cycle. So I understand everybody has a pecking order, but if you don't want to do it, just say, you know what, we're going to pass, reach back out to us in a year, you know, and and tell us what you're up to. So how much of that do you fight on a daily basis? Oh, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, I will say, you know, they're very respectful to things, but basically in PR, you'll either get no answer or you'll get um, a no. um, And then in certain cases, they jump right on it. You know, it depends on what it is, but you have to remember, you know, somebody said this to me once at a, a, a talk, a workshop I did about 10 years ago. They said, well, do you approach every writer um, the same way? And I said, how could you? You know, if, you, if I go to a Modern Drummer and I approach Adam and say, we want to do this for the educational column, we would be perfect. And I go to Drumhead Magazine and I say, this guy would be great for a feature. You've never had him and I know it fits right into your wheelhouse. And then I go to Drum Magazine and I say, you know, this guy has been covered in there, but we want to get his CD covered. So everybody has a different you know, you never approach everything the same way. It's, um, you know, it always has a different, you know, spin on it. But uh, listen, you know, the one thing that I talked about earlier where I said, you know, the independent market has increased and they're all in the pool now. Well, guess who's in the pool with them? Their personalities. <laughs> you know, so, 
you have so many different... I always say, there's a joke here we say in the office where I say, you know, you could send Love Supreme to certain writers, and I'll tell you that the saxophone's too loud. You know, <laughs> it's just... It is what it is. But when you deal with the amount of personalities we deal with, Jamie, by all means, you know, you're going to get that. Sure. Well, and, you know, my approach has always been, um, and I'm guessing your approach is very similar, the answer is always no if you don't ask the question. You know, I mean, I, I've gotten emails from listeners saying, why don't you have Ringo Starr on the show? And, you know, the answer is because nobody is going to let me anywhere near Sir Ringo, right? Yeah. But you still send the email to his publicist. Oh, of course, yeah. Because if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So, you know, I, I guess you get a lot of no's in your life as well. That's my point. You know what? The no's have become more of a quiet. <laughs> you know, it's not. Right. You know, if you, if you pitch a couple of people and you really give them a good pitch and you don't get a response, you got to remember, they could be busy that day and then it slips their mind. So you stay on them until that. But, you know, we know these people so well at this point that we know how they, their personalities and we know how they act towards certain things and we know what they like and what they don't like. You know, I have one writer who all he likes is big band music. You know, like if you like like Daphnis's record is a big band record, and you know, don't send him a trio, right? You know, don't. So it just you know it depends on all the writers. It really does. And like I said, I'm not kidding. You know, you are dealing with more personalities than you could ever could imagine. No, oh, no, I I mean I I can imagine the the listeners may not imagine, but you know, we, no, and and Jamie, not to interrupt you, but the you got to remember, you know, I always say this. I say this with everything in my life. I really do. What's the worst thing? You know, um, to, to go to a place where we say, God, you know, this person like a Ringo Starr, or like a Charlie Watts, whatever, is somebody who's just such a legend of the musical field. What's the worst thing? They say no, they don't answer. But if they say yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I've been, you know, the beneficiary of that, just saying, hey, I would love to have you on the show. And, you know, I've been surprised, you know, with a, with a couple of them. Sure. Yeah. Why was not? very different 20 years ago. You know, we're, we're blessed with the technology as drummers, as musicians, as, you know, workers in the musical field to be able to contact so many people in a single day. Think about it. You know, these, my job 25 years ago was a lot of phone calls. Oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure your phone bill rivaled that of NASA or something. Yeah, you know? no, it's it's different because of it. You know, because of technology now. Because there are writers that say, "Look, this is the quickest way to get me. I don't want to talk on the phone." You know, so it's uh, it rivals it. But yeah, I mean, it's it it's like I said though. You just got to keep in mind it's a personality thing, and you never will. You're not doing any damage to anything by asking. You know, in a, in a in a form that maybe we all feel like, do I belong here? You know, um, half of what I've developed was taking a chance on asking in a field or a form that I felt I didn't belong in, and yeah. it worked. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I I hope you don't mind me sharing, but I do want to tell everybody how you and I kind of cross paths because I think it's a a great story. When I first started the drum shuffle, you know, I was literally going through my Facebook friends list, you know, who, who's in the industry that I could get on the show. And, you know, I had been following Aaron Comess for years and years. Mm -hmm. And I sent him a Facebook instant message and said, Hey man, you know, I started up this drum podcast. I'd love to have you on not knowing that he worked with you, did the interview. It, 
you know, went out and you caught wind of it and you reached out to me and said, Hey, great job. You know, I, I'd love to figure out a way for us to work together. And, you know, that's kind of how that happened. So I got super lucky twice on that interview. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's it's just good stuff. Now, and you know what? I will tell you, there are people, and I'm not saying this because you're, you're with me here today. There are people that I can prep a pitch and you go, all right, this is going to be what it's going to be. You know, yeah. and when I speak with you and there are others, but when I speak with you, it's just it's the joy of the drumming community and how can we make this work? And as I always say, um, I won't be afraid to ask if you won't be afraid to tell me no and why, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's not a big deal, but it's always a pleasure. And that's that's what makes it fun. You know, if you go through this, it's, it's like any job. You know what I mean? We could be working in an office shuffling papers, but if we work next to each other with five other guys or girls that are just a lot of fun and we get the work done, you don't mind going to work. That's right. That's you know, it. and that's really what it is when you deal with this stuff. And, and it does trickle down. You know, um, you, it, it really does. So many things, so, a lot of things have come through Aaron, you know, where um, because Aaron is not jazz, you know, it's Aaron and I actually went to, we were at Berkeley at the same time and we never knew it. Oh, really? That's yeah. the seed. Now that's a cool story. Yeah. We never knew. Well, he's just a monster and I mean, he can play any style, you know, yep. whether it's jazz, rock, funk. I mean, he's just, just a monster player. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I got lucky twice, uh, on that one, but, um, one other thing that I do want to touch on, and I'm not going to ask you to give any work product away for free, so so please make this generic, but you've mentioned a couple of different times coming up with a marketing plan. Give us some idea, you know, for, for those of us that are still do-it-yourselfers, if, if I really want to promote my record out there, what is a typical marketing plan? What does it look like? Well, if you, you mean if you're working with us? Yeah. So, yeah. so tell me, you know, just kind of a generic idea. Okay, I'm going to pitch here. I'm going to pitch here. And, and yeah, the order I mean, that you it, go in. Again, it depends on the artist. But let's just, like, let's take Daphnis, okay? Um, Daphnis comes to me as a MacArthur Grant uh, winner um, who's, you know, it's an incredible thing to win because it gives you a million dollars to go and work with the arts. Um, you... You come to me, and the first, it's almost like that thing in school where you put the circle on the board with the topic in it, and then you branch out the lines. You know what? It, it's exactly what it's like. Where you say, "Okay, Daphnis Pareto," and you go, "Okay, what it be?" Well, he's a Latin bass player, so all the Latin publications. Uh, he's a drummer. All the drum publications. Well, what kind of music is it? It's jazz music. Okay, all the jazz publications. Uh, what about regional stuff? Well, he's from Cuba. And there are regional, you know, papers, you know, you're not getting into the Cuban press, but I mean, right. you know, try to angle that. Um, what about his performances? Well, he has 20 dates this year and they're going to be within the next six months. Okay, get those performances set up too. So that's, that's what you do with each artist. If you come into someone who's brand new, you may say, well, what's your story? My story is I studied at this particular school and I, okay, we, we can branch out from that. What do you play? Every publication that has to do with that. And, and I'll tell you something I do uh, just to step off the marketing plan for a second. If somebody comes to me with a, it could be a rock record. I mean, you know, anything that you, any record we would be talking about, and let's say it's drummer-led, um, and they have a guitar player, a bass player, and a keyboard player. Well, you better be going to keyboard magazine, bass publications, guitar publications, and drum publications, you know, because, again, they could say no. 
but if they like the guitar player on it, they may pick it up and review it in a guitar magazine. You know, you have to, it really is a, a branch out of the particular artist. You have to look at it um, in every, you know, which way. And that's really, everybody has a different circle. You know, um, the idea for a marketing plan with a new person, I always say is the word is accumulate at that point. We want to accumulate as much as we possibly can for you to have a profile that did not exist. You know, if you go to book a gig or you're trying to get some work, um, and I don't care if it's a jazz festival, a rock festival, whatever it is, if you come into someone and say, hey, you know, I'm John Smith and I have a band, and the person says, well, I don't know who you are, and you give them a folder full of press recognition, they got to look at it. You know what I mean? It's right. something that they immediately go, whoa, I may not have known about it, but everybody else does. Um, if you go into the same place and say, um, you know, you have nothing, it's, it's, you're going to get frustrated. And, you know, um, I often say this when we talk about marketing with print marketing and radio marketing. You know, people will come to me and say, I'm going to opt for radio publicity, radio, you know, marketing as opposed to print. And I'm like, okay, fine, you know. And they may be in a position where they are trying to still get themselves, you know, up and going. And I say, if you go into a, a booking agent or a club owner or whatever it be and you say, I have a new record. And they say, okay, cool. And you go, yeah, it was on the radio for the last three months. You know, <laughs> yeah. okay, great. And then, but if you come in and you say, I have a new record and it, here's all the, here's all the press on it, you know, give them something. You always want to give something that's tangible, Sure. you know, and, and that's what, um, that's, you know, the marketing plan. Like I said, if you always think about that circle and just branching off lines on every little, it's almost like, you know, the think tank principle, it really is, um, and that's really how you want to go about it. I mean, that, for me, that's, like I said, I only talk about the way I approach it. And the one other thing I do to, to kind of close on that point is I say to every artist, okay, professionally, we'll go through this marketing setup. I know what to do, but what do you want? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, make a list of 10 to whatever it be. I don't care if the list is 50 things. You know, whatever that list is, make a list of things that you would love to have. You know, because we may not get them, but boy, we, we want to make sure, like we said earlier, that we went there. And if the answer was no, the answer was no, but we did it. Right. Absolutely. And and that's what you're getting paid to do is, you know, to, to make those things happen f for the artist, right? Yes, that's it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's a ton of great knowledge right there, Chris. So thank you for sharing that, you know, on our show, because that's, that's going to help a lot of our listeners, I think. You know, I mean, it's just... To, to kind of visualize the circle on the whiteboard and start branching off, you know, that's something that we can all use in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, speaking of which, we have come to that time of the show, and as is the tradition, I get to put you on the spot now. I've put so many of your clients on the spot with this question. Give us a good piece of advice that you've learned over the years. Oh Lord. Well, you know what? Let me let me tell you how I the advice I gave myself, uh, which I learned through seeing um, in era of others in, in the business. When I started doing this, um, I remember saying, seeing that a lot of people were saying that um, that they you know the reason that the muck and mire of the business happened was because people were not honest. They told them one thing, they did another. Be honest. 
You know, if you can't do a gig, be honest. If the gig is not for you, be honest. If you don't like the music, be honest. Just be honest. It's just, it's going to gain your respect, and it's always going to make the path easier. Um, I always would say work hard, which is seems like a no-brainer, but it's <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you know, right. you are, you are not going to get anywhere if you do not work hard, and that's the. the I mean, it's in the history of man, you know, it's just not going to work. And then do what you say you're going to do. Keep to your word in the business, you know. Um, and, and if something does come into play where that word cannot be kept, well, then go back to be honest, <laughs> you know, and right. and do it. So I say be honest, work hard and do and keep your word. And uh, you will always um, you will always be there. I, I, I did it when I had my column, I did a an interview with a very well-known um, Latin drummer who I'd prefer not to mention his name because of the topic, but I said to him, how are you so busy? You know, how is it that you're just constantly going in a market that it is with there's so many drummers? And he said, you know what? I show up straight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said, because so many people show up high. <laughs> and I thought, well, that really wasn't what I expected him to say. But so, you know, Straight and narrow in what I said, you know, just like I said, you people won't argue with your honesty, your hard work and your word. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, and, you know, we mentioned him earlier. We we just recently had Rich on the show, Rich Redmond. And, you know, when I asked him for his piece of advice, he basically said what separates the men from the boys is execution. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, by golly, you do it. Yeah. And do it with integrity. And, you know, I think. I think we need more of that in our business, quite honestly. So great advice from you, Chris. Thank you so much for oh, taking time you, and, and coming on the drum shuffle. I really do appreciate it. I look forward to working with you for many, many years to come. And um, we're going to have to make this kind of an annual thing to have you on the show and and talk all about the world of publicity and, and give us more tips and tricks that we can all use as musicians. Does that sound like a deal? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'll probably call you tomorrow with a couple of names. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's great. You know, as a, as a weekly show, we're always looking for somebody to feature. So uh, it, it's it really is a great partnership that that we've built and I cherish it. And I thank you so much for taking time to come on the show and do this, man. Anytime. You know that. Absolutely. Chris, have a great evening. We will talk to you very, very soon, sir. All right, Jamie. Thank you again. All right. See you, man. Bye bye. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 57 for the Drum Shuffle. I really do appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without every single one of you listening in week after week. To that end, hit the subscribe button, as always, on whatever platform you're using to listen in. We have some fantastic guests coming up over the next few weeks that you certainly don't want to miss. Next week, I'm going to be joined by the great Mark Poise. Uh, Mark is out on the road right now with Tyler Farr. Uh, Mark has worked with just a a really cool list of artists. Uh, Great Nashville guy who's just getting it done. So we're really excited to bring an interview with you uh, to you with Mark next week. Uh, As always, we love hearing from you throughout the week. Uh, we love getting your emails. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can email us. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. 
And you can find more information on me at jamieeads.com. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.